It is game week once again here in college football in the South. It's it's uh, semifinal week for the college football playoffs. We've also got other bowl games going on that we're going to talk about, including the one that Auburn is playing in. Joining me to break down everything that's going on in this final week of 2020 and what a year it has been are two of the best reporters in the Southeastern Conference. That would be Matt Zenitz on my right, John Talty at the bottom of your screen. Joining me for this week's First Down South, which is brought to you by Andrew Sports Medicine this week, uh, who's sponsoring our coverage of the college football playoff semifinals. So, guys, one one more week to go. What you say, Matt? Hey, I, need, I need to shave. Stacey, Stacey's going to be pissed at me when, when she watches this. Not, yes, not a good facial hair. I, I need it's, to have the face look like it, like tall thing. It's the end of 2020. We're we're all we're all going to be expected to look a little bit worse for the wear this week. I think we we just got to make it through this week, and I, I feel like things are gonna things are gonna be looking up here. But we're we'll talk about the the, the thing. That I, I have to throw out kudos to the Talty Talty. Hey, as first off, cha- first off changes you up the the scenery. But hey, as the look like yeah. Yeah, hey, as the the high end New York, uh, New Jersey condo look behind them, I, I, I like it. So a, a nice, nice change up. Just trying to give the viewers a little taste, uh, a little different taste each week. The know? taste of the Talty High Life, if you will. <laughs> the, uh, the the biggest thing you left out though, not, not only is it uh, playoff semifinal week, a lot of bowl games. It's it's Matt Scalise's Wonder Woman '84 week. I, I think the audience yeah. wants to know before we get into football stuff, just with the Mascalisi review. Uh-huh. Lots, lots of new movies suddenly getting dumped on us at the end of the year. So I'm just, look, I'm just glad to have new movies. It's it, they're Wonder Woman. The new Wonder Woman's not perfect, but it was it was a new movie, you know. And there's big explosions in it, and people getting <laughs> flicked around by a glowing whip. It's it's. I would rather have that than not have it. Okay, that's that's my position on it. So. It's the first movie that you've seen where Kristen Wiig was responsible for some of the throwing people around. Was it nice to see her transition into a different sort of character? Were you? I, I love that I'm being. I'm now being interviewed about about my movie opinions in the middle of this show. But yeah, I mean, Chris, Kristen Wiig was fun. Pedro Pascal is really fun in it too. I agree. Let's uh, let's let's roll this into uh, another weird situation that we all lived through the past few weeks. When that would be the Auburn coaching search. And we, since we last did our show. Uh, Auburn has now hired a coach. They hired Brian Harson uh, from Boise State. We we left you last week, just hours before that that hire was made. So we haven't had a chance to really talk about the hire yet. But uh, I, I'll refer you back to a story that John Talty published on AL.com uh, a few days ago, sort of really going into and detailing the behind the scenes narrative that was going on in this coaching search. And it was, it was very interesting and dramatic and not necessarily like every coaching search that we hear about in college football. And John, I I won't ask you to recap the whole story, but I am curious kind of what your takeaway has been overall about Auburn, about how things worked internally and what it sort of tells us about Auburn from this coaching search. Yeah, I think one of the things that you notice is just that, you know, I feel like this is sometimes always going to be a factor with Auburn that you just have a sect of very involved boosters and high money donors who expect to be a big part of uh, any sort of decision. Uh, one of the interesting things that, you know, I'm, you know, I guess fairly new to the state that I think I'm closing in on my seventh year here is just 
how reminiscent this situation was to the one that Bobby uh, Terry Bowden went through um, in the late nineties in which, you know, it was kind of a bit of a coup to push him out and try to slide in uh, brother Oliver, you know, the longtime uh, Alabama assistant. And it just feels very similar to what we saw almost happen here in which Gus Malzahn gets fired. And, you know, some of these powerful people want to slide in Kevin Steele uh, to be the next head coach. You know, the interesting thing, I think ultimately with this search in particular was just kind of this, bit of a power tug between, you know, these powerful boosters and also you know, the administration, which includes uh, athletic director, Alan Green, you know, Alan Green ultimately wins out here and, you know, gets a guy that he wanted, um, had, you know, had a little bit of a tie to in the past and, and really worked with president Jay Gouge uh, to, to make sure that this was a true national search and that they considered all you know, possible candidates beyond just, you know, Kevin Steele, who was obviously just right there in the building. Yeah, and it's interesting that that is notable, right? And I, I think people who maybe have not followed Auburn coaching searches in the past and don't know as much about kind of the history there would say, hey, that's what it's supposed to be like, right? That's what it sounds like you're supposed to do. That's what we hear from every other coaching search is we made it a national search. We look for the best possible candidate. It's not always how things work uh, traditionally at Auburn. And I, and I think the fact that it maybe did work that way this time uh, could set up kind of some interesting dynamics for the future. Before we get into that, Matt Zenitz, I think one of the pressing questions right now going forward, now that they have Brian Harson, is who's his staff going to be? What What is the makeup of the, the full coaching staff uh, at Auburn? We don't really know a lot yet. We haven't heard much on that front. What can you tell us about about that side of things right now? Yeah, the expectation from people I've talked to is that they're not going to notify the current staff of what the plan is until after Auburn gets through the bowl game. Uh, the expectation, as I'm sure you can imagine, is that they're going to go a different direction with the majority of the staff. There's a possibility for some of the current coaches and just in conversations with John, Cadillac Williams is one that, that we've talked about that could potentially make sense there in terms of being retained, even though we haven't heard anything official in terms of that. But the full expectation is that uh, probably will be, for the most part, a completely new staff. Although, once again, the, the current members of that staff will not know officially until after the bowl game. One person specifically that's probably worth mentioning, Kevin Steele. Uh, Kevin Steele, the people I've talked to, do not expect him to be a part of the, this staff moving forward, which probably shouldn't be a big surprise, just considering the, the fact that he lost out to Brian Harson and essentially this competition for the head coaching job and, and just based on how the, this process played out with him. But at the same time, I think he's going to have set some interest and opportunities where he could potentially be back, not only working next season, but potentially even in the, the SEC based on some things I've heard in terms of some of the schools that are interested in him. Very interesting. Um, you know, and, and has been, look, however people felt about him as a head coaching candidate has certainly been a respected defensive coordinator at Auburn and I'm sure would be an attractive candidate to a lot of schools who need a defensive coordinator right now. Yeah. And two, just to, to give specific schools, two, the people in the world <clears throat> have mentioned just to keep an eye on as possibilities for him, LSU being one, South Carolina being a, another one. Matt, the, the two popular ones that the people have thrown out. Yeah, and he's obviously got connections uh, to, to the staffs in both places. Matt, do you? I know a lot has been said so far about Brian Harson and his lack of familiarity with the South in general, and how that could potentially uh, be a detriment when it comes to recruiting. Do you expect him to 
to mostly bring in staff that he's worked with before? Or do you do you think that he will probably go after some people that have some SEC experience? Hey, hard to say 100% at this point, but I, I would be very much surprised if once this staff is finalized, if there are not a, a good amount of people, at least some members of this staff, with SEC ties and, and ties from a recruiting standpoint down south. That's going to be something very important for him, and I would be very surprised if the, the staff, whenever it's finalized, doesn't include some some coaches that fall in those categories. I think it has to be a mix. You know, I think that's what you're going to see. I mean, it would be surprising for him not to bring some people with him from Boise State. Obviously, he had success there. Um, there's, you know, I think especially from an offensive side of things, it would make sense to bring some of those guys along. But, you know, like Zenis was just hitting on, you know, recruiting down south is different. Uh, we saw Joe Moorhead had some struggles when he came down. Uh, you got to have connections. You got to have people that can kind of help you get in the door of high school coaches. And and you need some people with, the, with southern ties. And so – you know, Matt mentioned Cadillac Williams. I think he'd make a lot of sense just based on his ties um, and and kind of brand name around the state. And you're going to need like at least two or three of those guys who can help you just from a recruiting standpoint uh, that have been around the SEC. And we know that Auburn has always uh, also had a, I would say, a unique situation where having former players on the coaching staff has always been a valuable thing there if only because you're having to deal with a lot of internal stuff and, and to kind of transition that into uh, what, where we go from here, John, I think, I think what you described in your, in your writing and reporting about this story shows that even though Auburn and everybody at Auburn may be happy with how the coaching search ultimately turned out, it did reveal some rifts. It revealed uh, some disagreements about how things should work internally at Auburn. And that could create some challenges going forward. Where do you where do you see that? I think being a potential pressure point at Auburn. Yeah, I mean, here's the important thing to remember: is that you know you need some of these important people who wanted Kevin Steele to be the next head coach. You need their money. You know, these are people that give a lot of money and have been supportive over the years. And so, you know, you can say, all right, you know, we don't need those people anymore. But the next time you're trying to raise money, you know, for facilities upgrades you're going to have to go to those people for money. And you basically just told them, that's great, you want Kevin Steele, but we don't care because we're doing something else. And so there's potential for there to be ramifications from that. I think one of the things that would be very beneficial for everyone involved, and this is an obvious point, but just given what we know about some of the disagreement, is for Brian Harson to come out and be successful in year one. You know, I think the schedule sets up in a way that that's definitely possible. And I think would help probably calm some of the concerns and maybe hurt feelings from the people who wanted Kevin Steele. But if he comes out and struggles in year one, you're going to see the same kind of people who are kind of maybe doing some things behind the scenes on Gus, maybe start to do that again with Harson, uh, And and certainly with Alan Green, who really stuck his neck out for this hire. And when you do that, you know, there could be some blowback, especially if it doesn't work. And well, we know – getting. go ahead, Matt. I, I, I just have to throw them. I'm surprised they talked to him and find a way to work in the, the great hot tub pool conversation that Brian Horton and Alan Green apparently had. Wait, what was it? Five five years ago when they first connected? <laughs> yeah, I think they were trying to this pool. I just kind of assume it's a hot tub, but you know, that that was an interesting story. And not to go on a on too you know long of a diatribe here, but it is always funny when schools make hires, they always try to find a way to show that it was more than just like a one-day romance. There always has to be some sort of connection in the past. and It was amusing to me and also a little weird that they 
felt a need to sh you know tell that specific story to show that Alan and Brian knew each other from beyond just the past week. Yeah, I mean, look, mythologizing is a big part of all of it. It's it's uh, it's you have to get buy-in, and that's that's a really important thing early on for a coach when he doesn't have a record to lean on to prove himself to the new fans. There has to it has to feel special anyway. People have to feel like there's a reason he's the guy. And, uh, you know, I, I do think, I think you're right about, you know, the, the, the need for early success. As much as we like to talk about, you know, this guy needs to have three, four years, needs to get his own guys in there. You really have to get buy-in really quickly. It's something that Gus was, was fortunate enough to have. It's something that Chiswick got relatively quickly at Auburn as well. Um, you know, I, I think especially with the need for facilities at Auburn to be, to, to keep up recruiting wise, I think that's really, that could really be an issue three, four years from now with potentially a, a rough, recruiting class uh, coming in this cycle for Auburn. They need to find a way to make up the gap with with the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Georgias and Floridas that they're recruiting against every year. And right now they're a little behind the eight ball on that. Well, and just not to go on too long, I think, but just think about this. You know, next season you have Alabama and Georgia at home. Your uh, cross-rival game is, I believe, South Carolina – you do have Penn State, but everybody else is very winnable. I mean, that's a that's a season that is set up very, very well for that first year. And that, I mean, and I think you know, I'm sure Squeezy probably heard some of the same things. But one of the things that I've heard, you know, part of why I think they made a move on Gus this year was that they were afraid he was going to have a really good year next year, and they weren't going to get. He was going to have to get an extension. They were going to kind of keep doing this thing they've been doing. So it's set up very well for Harson to have success, and I think. You know, it's tough to put too much pressure on a first-year coach, but anything less than eight wins, I think, is definitely a disappointment next year. I, I will say uh, very confidently that there will be at least one thing very differing compared to Gus's tenure, press conferences. So uh, fan, fans and media people can definitely expect something different in terms of those press conference-type settings as uh, evidenced by that that first <laughs> Brian Larson press conference. So, hey, it heard <coughs> – going into that and just coming out of him getting hired, that this is a guy who's very open, candid when it, when it comes to press conferences, dealing with the media and all of that. And I, I think it's safe to say that probably would never see Gus having an hour and 10 minute. Yeah, it, it was, I'll, I'll say this for Gus, because we had some great experiences with him in, in isolated settings, but yes, Gus, Calling Gus candid would not be a good description for, for his press conferences, I think. And, that, and look, that's how he chose to run things. Uh, he felt like it was better to say less most of the time. And, uh, you know, I think that that that's never something that media people particularly love. But I, I think that's how he chose to run things. And, and people didn't really in some ways, I think it may have hurt Gus in the long run because people he didn't give a lot of people opportunities to develop sort of affection for him by showing more of his personality. I mean, it's, it's funny that that one of the last things we saw of him as the Auburn head coach was this like very fun moment of him dancing in the locker room with his players being goofy. And I think, I think if we'd seen more of it, yeah, very Ted Lasso like that's right, John. If I think if we'd seen more of that along the way for Gus, I think maybe the overall sentiment about him might've been a little different. 
I think people who know Gus would tell you he is a good man. Yeah. Um, clearly his players loved him. He recruited well. But to your point, we never really saw a lot of that. And I think ultimately one of the things that really doomed Gus uh, from a big picture standpoint is he was just very paranoid. You know, he didn't really let people in. And it's not just media people. It was coaches. It was boosters. It was trustees. All these different people never really got a chance to know the full Gus. And when that happens, they're not as willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. And I think as I've said throughout this show, he never had a lot of goodwill bought in with important people. And so the moment they got a chance to knock him out, they did. And that's because they didn't have a relationship with him. Yeah, and I'll throw one more thing in about Gus, though. So this is not the last that we've seen of Gus by any means. And it wouldn't even be a surprise whatsoever if Gus is not only back in college football next season, but, but maybe, maybe even in the, the SEC. So, so one mm. of the for, for people in the coaching world to, to throw out there is that if Tennessee does open up, which I, I don't know if it's 100% at this point that the Pruitt's going to be back. Obviously, that, that's something that's been up in the air recently in terms of his status. If Tennessee did ultimately make a move, something that's come up from a few different people a, at this point is to keep an eye on Gus as a possibility for that Tennessee job that they think he, at the very least, could get a look there. Once we're going to yes. – we're going to – yeah, we, make a move. Wait, we're going to touch on that at the end of the show in a little bit more detail. But before we do, uh, let's talk about the college football playoffs happening this week, particularly the one that we all cover here from the state of Alabama, the Rose Bowl. Uh, technically, I guess it's the Rose Bowl. It's being played in Dallas uh, between Alabama and Notre Dame. This is a game that a lot of people are, are already the, the narrative is about Notre Dame getting crushed and how often that happens. Um, you know, you're not going to hear that kind of talk from Nick Saban, certainly. But Matt, you uh, have a story up on AL.com today talking to some coaches that have coached against Notre Dame this season and actually have experience having to prepare for them and playing against them uh, and kind of getting their thoughts on this game and how Notre Dame matches up. What were you able to glean from those conversations? That there's a reason that Notre Dame's a three-touchdown underdog, pretty much. <laughs> so Notre Dame's obviously had a, had a great year. They're undefeated going into the ACC title game, but th there are some deficiencies there on that roster that even though they have some very good players, including the Buckus Award winner at, at linebacker, it's going to be tough for them not only to win this game, but potentially even keep, keeping it close. So two of the, the biggest deficiencies that, that came up consistently, the, the cornerback group, for them, which doesn't help when you're going into a game against a receiver uh, receiver group for Alabama led by the, the likely Bolitnikoff Award winner and potential Heisman winner in Devontae Smith and obviously a quarterback in Mac Jones, who's a Heisman finalist also. And then to go along with that, you, you have a receiver group that uh, has put up some, some okay numbers. I, I think they have a guy who's right around 700 receiving yards, but big physical guys who – uh, don't necessarily scare secondary coaches and defensive coordinators because they, they don't have the, the, the speed explosive element that obviously some of these other groups around the, the country have. Has some very good tight ends, one of the best tight end groups in the country, but the, the receiver group is one that has come up consistently as another deficiency, weak area, vulnerable area to go along with that cornerback group. Kind of, yeah, kind of an interesting contrast, Matt, because the last game that we that you did a story like this for, we, we kind of heard a little bit of the opposite in terms of strengths versus weaknesses. It was it was all about 
Florida's uh, incredible receiver talent uh, and, and on the other side of the ball, not a great rushing defense. And what did we see in the game? Florida torches Alabama's defense down the field uh, for in the passing game. And then Najee Harris goes absolutely crazy uh, running the ball. So this game feels like a little bit the other way around where, where Notre Dame is, is probably not going to be able to take advantage of Alabama's biggest weakness defensively. Um, but they are, they, they are, according to the stuff that you, that you heard from coaches, they're a lot better up front defensively. Yeah. So, so one thing that's worth adding in, so I, I bring up the, the weaknesses, the vulnerable areas for them. They, they do have an experienced guy, a quarterback, who hasn't lit the world on fire from a, a number standpoint this year, but, but he's done a great job protecting the football. So a, a dual threat type guy. Who, it's funny because people don't really talk about him being a, a runner or talk about his dual threat capabilities, but he's run for like 500 yards, eight touchdowns this year, and, and is definitely capable of making some things happen outside the pocket, not only as a scrambler, but just creating time even in terms of throwing the ball and giving him some additional time to find people downfield. To go along with that, I mentioned the tight end group. That's a definite strength, and Alabama's obviously had issues at different points this year, including in the SEC title game, facing off against tight ends and slowing some of those top-tier guys down. Running back group, solid offensive line, one of the best in college football. And then lastly, from a defensive standpoint, they're definitely better in the front seven than what they are in the secondary and specifically with that cornerback group, that the feedback was definitely good on them from a front seven standpoint. And it's worth noting also that while they had some trouble against Clemson, not only stopping them from throwing the ball, but but also uh, stopping the, the running game, while that was the case in that game, for the most part this year, have done a great job limiting opposing running backs and opposing running games, including even – the, the first Clemson game where Travis Etienne, who's one of the best running backs in the country, only had 28 yards on 18 carries in that first game against Notre Dame. John, we, we've uh, we've gotten a chance to hear from the Alabama assistant coaches, which is always a very rare treat uh, and something we only really get when, when Alabama makes the playoffs, essentially. But, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian just won the Broyles Award. He's obviously having a phenomenal year as an offensive play caller. On the other side, uh, we've heard Pete Golding, who we saw getting chewed out on national television last week against Florida, uh, kind of came out and, and did what a lot of uh, Saban coordinators do, which you is – You mean Coach Saban. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. We, we, don't call him, we don't call him Nick. We don't call him Saban. It's Coach to you. Uh, but anyways, the the um, – <laughs> the, 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 the brush off that you get from Saban assistants when you ask them about that topic, about getting yelled at on the sidelines, uh, is pretty consistent. And that's what Pete Golding did yesterday. Basically said, look, it happens, man. I, I didn't do a good, a good enough job, so that's what I'm going to hear from my boss uh, when it happens. If, if you're Notre Dame right now, I guess, and you're watching this Alabama team, what, do you, what is kind of your best hope to attack them? What, what, do, you, what do you see as Alabama's potential stumbling blocks, I guess, going forward. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's extremely hard for me to even talk myself into Notre Dame winning this game. You know, if they were playing Ohio State or Clemson, um, and, you know, I think they'll, you know, they'll play one or the other in the national championship game, assuming they win on Friday, I think you could find things that either Ohio State do, Ohio State does or Clemson does. But 
I just don't see it in Notre Dame. You know, I think we've seen when these teams have matched up in the past, Alabama's blown them out. Um, I just don't think they do enough of the things, kind of like Matt was getting into earlier, enough of the things that, you know, Alabama does struggle against a little bit. I mean, maybe their tight end just has a massive game um, and they just can't find a way to stop them. I mean, maybe that helps. But I just think Alabama is too strong from top to bottom to lose this game. I just don't see, you know, feel free to uh, old takes expose me uh, after <laughs> this game. But, I mean, I think it's – I just think it's a lock. I just don't see any way that Alabama loses this game. I just don't see it. Well, we will certainly be – they're, they're going to lose by 35 now, courtesy of John Paul. <laughs> yeah. The fans can blame me for the jinx that happens. But this is just, again, you know, I think this is just a, such a talented team from top to bottom. The offense, I mean, again, they have three of the top five Heisman finalists on offense. It's the unreal. Defense, the defense has get multiple first-round picks. I mean, Patrick Sertan could be a top-ten pick um, on defense. I mean, they're just loaded. And, you know, Notre Dame just doesn't have the same level of talent. I think Notre Dame is a very good team. Uh, they've been one of the best teams all year. But when you look from top to bottom, they don't have a similar level of talent. And that's why, you know, people have expected it to pretty much be Alabama Clemson part, what, five now at this point? Again, yeah. just because they've been the top two teams really all year, even though Clemson lost that one game without Trevor Lawrence. But, but two matchups that, that are worth keeping an eye on. So Notre, Dame, Notre Dame's offensive line, which once again is one of the best in college football, and I think a Joe Ward Award finalist gets that Alabama front seven that at different points this year is, hey, has looked maybe not like typical Alabama front seven. And then to go along with that, don't forget that Landon, Landon Dickerson's out for Alabama at center. It was – it's probably a good thing when center doesn't get talked about consistently throughout the course of the game, and we'll see if the, the center that's replacing him, Chris Owens, ends up getting spotlighted or talked about more during the course of that matchup. That is a significant loss, especially when you're facing a Notre Dame front seven that uh, definitely is talented and has been a strength for them throughout the course of the season. So that's something at least worth keeping an eye on, that center position for Alabama to go along with, once again, Notre Dame's offensive line against Alabama in the front seven. Well, one area of of unquestioned strength for Alabama all year has been wide receiver. While we've been talking – Devontae Smith was just named the AP Player of the Year, which is also a key uh, Heisman predictor in addition to being a prestigious award in its own right. So very interesting uh, announcement there. We've got a question from our audience about the receiver position, by the way, from James Turner here who asks if there is a chance Jalen Waddle might play. And we actually heard this directly addressed from Nick Saban, but I- I'll ask you, Matt, both from from – this week, what Saban said, and then maybe what you think potentially going forward uh, about Jalen Waddell. And the biggest feedback I've gotten on him during the course of the last couple of days is similar to what Nick Saban said. He's not back practicing yet. So that, that's been essentially the response I've gotten without getting – without the, the people I've checked with getting into specifics as far as the likelihood of him being able to play in a game if there is one after the, the Notre Dame one. Just that, once again, he is not back practicing at this point. He's going well. They're optimistic just from an outlook standpoint with him and recovering all of that. But at this point, is not back to practicing. For we're, we're, so, I mean, we're essentially full 14 days out from the national championship game. Is that right? More than that even, potentially? I don't know when anything is anymore. You guys are better at math than I am. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a – there are – there is a – a non insignificant amount of time 
between now and the national championship game. So even though it sounds like from what Matt and what Nick Saban said this week that Jalen is not going to to be a part of things in the Rose Bowl, there's still a fairly significant amount of time between now and the national championship game. It's worth checking in on again. Come back and ask us the question before the national championship game. We'll see if anything's changed. Um, let's uh, let's hey, wrap directing, it, it, directing that at me that it's worth checking in on from you my- should you should definitely check on it too yeah. Matt but but uh, yeah, our commenters should also check with us about, about it again so before we wrap up today I've got one more question and we'll do a lot of spinning forward once the season is over we'll do a lot of looking at 2021 uh, as we continue this show into the off season and by the way uh, I haven't mentioned it yet but but uh, if you if you are looking to keep up with our show somewhere other than on Facebook or YouTube, uh, you can subscribe to us as a podcast on iTunes or on Spotify, or I guess I should say the Apple Podcast app. I don't think we call it iTunes anymore, Grandpa. Um, but the uh, if you just want to hear us in audio form only, you can get it uh, in either of those two places or at AL.com. We post the podcast feed as well. And it's worth throwing out also that the, the first 25 subscribers, I don't know if you finalized this or not, Matt, but the, the first 25 subscribers get a, not, not only one, not, not only five, not only 10 free lunches from El Barrio, courtesy of Matt Scalisi, but get the first 25 subscribers get 25 None of this. lunches courtesy of Matt Scalisi. None so, of this is true. This is, this is lies. We're, we're, let's, let's cut him off, Patrick, producer. We're cutting him off. We don't, we don't allow lies on this program, okay? Yeah, <laughs> you can bring it back. Uh, okay, so let's wrap this up. Anyways, we'll we'll do a lot more looking ahead into, into the future in the weeks to come. But today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the SEC job market since it seems to have settled down at this point. I don't think we're going to see any more changes at this point in this year's cycle. Uh, you never know, but but it doesn't look like it's going to go that way. Looking ahead to next year, <clears throat> to, to either of you, is there a job that, that you've got your eye on the most as potentially coming open and being a part of the coaching carousel in 2021? And I'll, I'll start with, uh, with John Talty here. Yeah, I think the most obvious one at this point, and, and Zen hit on oh. earlier, is just going to be Tennessee. You know, there's been a lot of rumors already. Um, you know, it looks like I think, as you know, I've said recently, the more the time goes on, the more likely it looks like Jeremy Pruitt will be back next year. But he enters into next season, I think, on probably the hottest seat, certainly in the SEC and maybe in the entire country. And so he's someone that I think you have to really keep an eye on as to whether he's going to be able to survive. And, you know, like Matt said, uh, I've also heard some of the early, you know, Gus would be interesting at Tennessee talk. Um, and the other kind of big name that, has been out there is of course Hugh Freeze at Liberty, uh, who uh, I believe there would be mutual interest between Tennessee and Hugh Freeze. Uh, he is someone that uh, is. There's always going to be baggage there. It's always going to be a, a sell uh, by any school that wants to hire him to the SEC as to why. But he is uh, a name I think to watch in Tennessee. Matt, any uh, any jobs that you've got your eye on next year? Yeah. Not so, for you personally, but but for for uh, for coming open in the SEC. Zenitz would also like to throw his name into this. <laughs> That's right. He's a strength. He's a strength and conditioning candidate for sure. And the t- Tennessee head coach or Tennessee strength and conditioning coach probably makes a lot more than what I'm making right now. So, I, <laughs> if Homer wants to give me a call, hey, I, I'm all ears. 
Happy to pass along my number. But uh, in terms of other jobs, I, I'll throw out two just that I have my eye on, not even just specifically for next year, but, but just moving forward. So, so one, it would be LSU to go along with, with Tennessee. So obviously some behind the scenes things going on there. We'll see where all of that goes. But I will say in terms of LSU, based on what they're going to be having back from a, a talent perspective, I do think they're going to be in position to have improvement uh, compared to just what would happen this year and obviously the, the record that they finished with. Close the year with a couple good wins and some good momentum coming out of this season for them and have enough coming back that I could see some improvement for them next year. And then the other one that would be keeping an eye on moving forward, it's a high-profile one that's outside of the SEC, just in Texas. So I, I know the, the AD with, with Texas has come out and indicated that – I guess Tom Herman will be back. I, I don't know if people in the coaching world necessarily view that as as much of a foregone conclusion. And that'll be interesting just to continue to monitor moving forward, because if they did move on from Tom Herman, there, there are some guys who I think could potentially be in the mix for that, that uh, people in the SEC would, would be very much aware of. But that, that'll be another interesting one to follow. Absolutely. Always, always interesting when Texas gets involved, as, as anybody who has covered Alabama for more than a few years can tell you it, it, it will immediately throw uh, a lot of headlines your way, uh, many of which are completely ridiculous and baseless. But uh, that Texas is sort of just a, a floating force of chaos whenever that job comes open. So I, I think it would be interesting, certainly, and, and would, would make the conversation uh, very dicey in a lot of programs around the country. To your point, Scalise, I think it's there's a lot of similarities between Texas and Auburn. You know, there's a lot of just kind of people behind the scenes. Absolutely. Moves. And so, you know, Zenith and I just lived through the Auburn coaching experience. Uh, I think we're all, you know, a little burnt out by it. So, <laughs> you know, if Texas opens up sometime in the next year or so, uh, you know, uh, thoughts and prayers to the Texas beat writers. Absolutely. You know, it's going to be a journey. Yeah, uh, de definitely thoughts and prayers to the servers for uh, real estate websites in Austin as well. <laughs> Always get a workout whenever there's an open job there. So, all right, guys. Well, that's it for us this week. We're going to have tons of coverage for you throughout the week as we get ready for the Rose Bowl and the Citrus Bowl for Alabama and Auburn. We're going to have uh, coverage all day on New Year's Day on Friday of both games uh, in particular uh, pregame and postgame shows uh, that you can get live here or wherever you're watching this right now. So uh, join us then. Have a great New Year's. And, uh, guys, we will be back next week to, to talk about whatever it is that happens. And more feedback on Wonder Woman 84. And we will get <laughs> Andrews Sports Medicine, aggressively pursuing victory over injury. Call 205-939-3699.